He's kind of like the Joe Rogan of the hospitality industry right now. And ties into wanting to be the best. If my reviews are the best, then I'm the best, right? So um, we really, it's been a focus of every team player in the company that we're just super dialed into the guest experience. Welcome to Slick Talk, the hospitality podcast where we discuss all things hospitality, hotels, and business. You can find us online at slicktalkthepodcast.com and on every podcast listening platform. What's up, all my Slick Talkers? You are listening to the one and only Hostfully Highlight series here on Slick Talk. This means every Friday I have partnered up with my friends at Hostfully to interview their amazing property managers around the world to see what they're doing, how they used this time during the COVID-19 pandemic in order to optimize the tools that are currently already in their toolbox, like Hostfully themselves. You're listening to the Hostfully Highlight series. Now, onto the show. everybody welcome back to slick talk the hospitality podcast i'm your host will slickers and today i have my friend all the way from philly his name is steve and he's with your hip uh which is also your home in philly or philadelphia um so i'm really excited to have you steve how are you doing today doing fantastic will thanks so much for having me of course of course so i just love jumping right in tell us a little bit about you what what got you into vacation rentals and hospitality? And of course, I would love to hear the story about the brand and the name. Yeah, absolutely, Will. Um, so like a lot of things in life, it all happened by accident. So I was um, a bachelor. I was living in Philadelphia in the city. And um, I my uh, relationship status changed. And I was needed to move out of the city. Uh, into suburbia and but I still was locked into a lease on my apartment in the city and uh, at the time I was working for the world's largest corporate housing company uh, called Oakwood and um, this is what I did in my regular job I found furnished homes for people and I looked after them and so I thought I'm locked into a lease let me just rent my place out to others until my lease ends. And then when my lease ends, my financial obligation ends, I can give it back to the landlord and I am out. Well, um, got into it, got a few uh, reservations. Uh, my business model, if you like, was that I would price myself that I would assume every weekend for two nights was booked. And then I just needed to get one other book in in the entire month and that I would break even. So that was happening. I was breaking even. Um, I And that's all I wanted, right, Will? I didn't want to make money back then. I just was looking to offset my financial obligations. Well, then it was right about the time where Airbnb was starting to take off. So this was about 11, 12 years ago. And... Um, I got this uh, this message from a TV station, 
It was called the Live Well Network, and it was by Disney. And uh, they were doing a feature where, a bit like HGTV, where they tour three properties and then pick a winner. So the the um, the idea was they would uh, tour three properties. It was a group of ladies for a college reunion, and they didn't want a hotel room because they couldn't all stay together. So they wanted somewhere where they could all stay together in one place. And my place was, was one of the ones that they chose uh, to tour. And I said, sure, let's do it. Let's ha have some fun with it. Didn't think I would win or anything like that. Well, sure enough, I won. And so I was featured on national TV, winning the show, and got all the publicity that went with it. And then, guess what? All of a sudden, I was starting to get more and more bookings. A lot more. And now I was actually starting to make a little bit of money. And then I thought, this is great. Okay. Um, so, and then one day I double booked somebody. And I was so kind of upset with myself that I double booked somebody. And I'm like, how am I going to get out of this? And then quite by luck, the apartment home next to mine was available to rent. And it had exactly the same view, exactly the same layout. It was just flipped. And so I'm like, you know what? I'm making money. Let me take a bit of a risk and take on the lease on this home as well. Furnish it exactly the same. And then the guests would never know. Well, so I did that. And then, of course, that started to get rented as well. And then before I knew it, I had about 12 units. and it was, but at this point, it was starting to interfere with my real job, my proper job. So I'm like, I'm not going to take on any more units. They're, they're doing well. They're making money. Let's just leave it as is. And then the name came about is, um, it's really an acronym of your home in Philly. And we wanted to be hip because corporate housing at the time had a um, stigma of looking like your grandmother's uh, apartment home with, um, tartan colored duvet covers and uh, ugly furniture and I wanted it to be hip and fun and trendy and so that's why we came up with the name Your Hip. So you actually went a unique route for at least in my opinion to go, to go the master lease model. You you took on the risky part like you went out and signed a lease under your name and, and rented it. Now, what was that experience I, like? Oh well it was fantastic when you know that saying, uh, make make hay when the sun shines? When the sun was shining, I was making hay. It was great. Um, so you're right. I had all the risk, so therefore I had all the reward as well. But you know what comes with risk is the downside. So in the winter months, November, December, January, February, we would lose money. Um, but I made enough money in the summer to offset that. And um, actually, even before COVID, um, and I got up to a little over 100 units, Will, and um, with that kind of scale, when you lose money, you lose a lot of money. Um, so I made the transition even before COVID that I was going to start taking less um, master lease units and do more managed units. And I was just trying it in my head, figure out how I would give back units 
So I, at the right time, so just before winter and have the lease ends just at the right time and transition through. And then, of course, COVID came. Yeah, no, that's, that's the the story of a lifetime. COVID came and, and ruined all our plans, I think it's a very true statement. So I have a question for you, though, on the market. It sounds like in Philly, you guys have a lot of multifamily units compared to whole homes, or was that just kind of the, the market you started out in and knew so you were comfortable uh, growing to that scale of 100 units plus? Yeah, most of our units were multifamily in apartment buildings, and here's why, Will. They already have the infrastructure in terms of maintenance to fix issues. So if I'm going to rent from a private landlord, right, in this business, problems will happen. What's super important is you fix them really, really quickly. So if I rent from a private landlord and the fridge breaks, what does that entail? I call the, the landlord. Okay, he gets back to me when he or she can, which may be or may not be the same day. And then they're like, they are an R. And then they call a contractor out that may have to wait a few days. When you've got a fridge down, you can't wait a few days for that sort of problem to be fixed. So apartment communities have maintenance. And if it's a good management company, they have same-day maintenance. And if it's an emergency like a fridge, you know, they'll either swap it out for another one or, or something. But it happens quickly. And so that's why I really like that model. No, that's true. That's a really good point. That's the, I think we always talk about heads and beds, revenue, marketing, branding, channel management, and all the other stuff. But we never talk about like the back end stuff that goes behind the scenes when you're managing either whole homes or multifamily units. It really does take a lot, especially if something happens a pipe burst, toilet clogs, uh, to the point of, you know, no recovery, fridge breaks, you name it. It can get, pretty intense and you have to respond very quickly yeah for real like you know if your guests are with us for just you know a night or two nights or if you're lucky a week um you don't have the luxury of time to fix the issue uh it's got to be pretty much immediate yeah 100 percent. i totally agree and i i'm curious on how so so do you still so you were transitioning kind of post-COVID to get into the more managed units. What's that look like for you guys now? How has this time been? Um, you know, obviously in the beginning of COVID, a lot of people, I think even, you know, myself included, most likely you, most likely anybody else I talked to was kind of scrambling in like March, April of last year. But now what does that look like for you guys for your hip? Yeah, so it's it's been a, so we were well on our way. You know, we had uh, a number of, uh, investors in play that have properties. Um, one one investor I can think of had about, uh, I think he has like 30 houses. And we're up to like number 12. Uh, I've taken over his entire portfolio and, and manage it for him. So he used to do the uh, unfurnished model where we just rented out for 12 months. Uh, but he started to see he could make a lot more money under the short-term uh, model, uh, but he wasn't happy with his current uh, management company. So we came in and we started doing uh, the management for him. He became very happy with the revenue numbers and what we were doing. Um, so 
historists kind of typical, what we will find is we've got to unit number 12, COVID hit, everybody cancelled, and he panicked. And I don't blame him, but he was like, I cannot afford to have 12 homes sitting vacant for three, four months or until COVID fixes itself. Um, I'm going to get my houses repossessed. Um, I'm going to go into foreclosure. I have to get people in now. So he had to, he actually unfurnished all of the houses and put them back under the, um, the unfurnished model. He, in the long term or in the short term, he's, you know, he stopped the, the rot, if you will. Um, but, you know, obviously long term, this is going to go away and, and, and we can relook at things again. So that kind of scenario happened again and again for us uh, under the management model. So we got up to about 30 units under the management model. We slipped to below 10. And then um, also with our master lease model, I was doing the same. As many units as I could give back to properties that were either month-to-month leases or about to be leases expired, as many as possible, I was giving those back as well. So I went pretty much very quickly from over 100 units down to, you know, 50-something units, almost half. Um, So now um, it's the new norm, right? Um, It's still not back to where it was. It's probably only about 50% of what it was, um, but there is some light at the end of the tunnel. We are currently only taking on managed inventory. We are not doing any more master lease inventory, and I don't foresee doing that for a while, um, not until I can start to. I want to be, I used to be 80% master lease model and about 20% management. I want to flip that. I want to be 80% managed, 20% master lease. And so that's kind of the new nut numbers now. I make less money, but I have less risk. Yeah, and it's something that you can kind of, I think, reevaluate more often. You know, it gives you more flexibility as a management you know, company to be able to have that flex inventory of revenue versus master lease and all the other stuff. So I think that's pretty... I think it's a good shift. Um, I'm kind of curious for um, for your destination. Did you guys see the uptick in kind of like workcation, staycation type stuff? Or was that really something that wasn't really popular in your destination where people were kind of fleeing out of their house to go work uh, remotely and do other stuff like that? Yeah, it wasn't really that popular, um, Will. What we did see is, uh, I don't know if you will recall back when it first hit, New York was pretty much the center of it all. And we're only about an hour and a half, two hours uh, from New York. So what we saw a lot of was New Yorkers that could afford it, essentially looking for sleep. Um, and then what happened was um, a lot of them went to the Poconos and then the Poconos became the new epicenter. And the governor of Philadelphia actually banned all Airbnbs in Pennsylvania, even though it was only one area. So that really kind of put a stop to it. Now, luckily, we do a lot of work with hospitals. 
and we were one of the few uh, businesses that got a waiver from the governor to still operate because we catered to frontline uh, responders and people that really needed places to stay in an emergency situation. Um, but yeah, to your point, we didn't really see that. Maybe a little bit, but we didn't really see it. See that at all. Yeah, that was my next question. Was the 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 frontline workers, you know, people that were traveling nurses or traveling doctors, um, maybe even National Guard. I don't even know. Um, but was more of, um, that was my next question was, did you guys, were you able to pivot to that? Because when you were telling me the story of the the owner who's like, I can't have these places unrented. Um, my, I heard similar stories with a lot of people that were like doing everything they could to get construction crews, nurses, doctors, any type of um, traveling first responder team or, or essential businesses or, um, you know, jobs were trying to fill. And some in like Tennessee and a few other areas did actually pretty well. Uh, so that was my next question to you. How has that worked out for you guys? What, what, um, what went right when you went to go after that new type of traveler, that new type of demographic of guest? Yeah, well, uh, I wish I had a great answer for you. Nothing went right. Uh, we, I feel like we tried everything. We approached universities because universities were closing down their dorms, right? Um, so we approached them and, um, oh, one thing did go right. I, um, uh, I mentioned we do a lot of work with uh, hospitals, a cancer center, which sort of offered um, places for people that were in recovery um, had to close down because they had a communal setup um, where the living room, the kitchen, the dining was all communal. So they had to shut down. And so we got a few guests as a result of that. But Will, in, in the end, we had so much vacancy that we actually said, let's give it out free and let's get the um, the kind of the media um, vote, if you will, that if you were a first-line responder, we were actually letting you stay free of charge um, so that you could help others. And we did get some uh, positive press from that. But, hey, that doesn't pay the bills, does it? Um, and i got to say, Will, we probably lost hard cash, about $600,000 uh, in those three months, both from cancellations and then, you know, we still had the expenses. We still had the rents to pay and, and things like that. So it was a really dark time. Oh, I, can't, I can't imagine that, that type of especially because you're, you're talking about your 80% of, you know, mass release model. That's a lot of overhead. That's something that I don't think a lot of people understand, like when they're first getting into vacation rentals, when they're like, oh, I'll just go rent an apartment or a home and, and put it under my name and then pay for all the bills, but then rent it out on Airbnb or whatever. Um, you still got a lot of stuff if it doesn't go right. Like there's a lot of overhead. Um, yeah, yeah. And that's what I say. When the sun is shining, it's great. Everything's mm -hmm. great. Um, but nobody could have ever predicted, no. you know, this, this anomaly. Um, you know, so I, I had no, no backup plan for it. But now we're going to flip to the other way. So if this event does happen again, um, you know, we're not going to be hurt nearly yeah. as bad. Yeah. Well, what, what, when it comes to COVID, what advice would you have for other operators um, that are operating 
whether they're in cities or destinations more uh, that are more occupied um, with, you know, obviously there's a, it's a dense demographic of, of people that live there. Um, what's some like key learnings for, for you that you would give to anybody that's doing the same thing? Yeah, I, th- I think look at your expenses. Um, it's not, it depends how big you are. In the beginning, like in the beginning for me, 12 units, I was just, uh, you know, I was outsourcing the cleaning, so that was a vendor thing, and I was doing everything. Um, so my expenses were really, really low at the beginning. But when you get to 100, you know, I had a whole team, and my expenses were quite high. I had an office in the city. Um, that was high. Um, so look at your expenses, I would say, and try and be lean. Um, I've now um, cut, found a way of reducing my expenses by $200,000 per year, yet not sacrificing service or quality. And I've learned over the last year, because my office was closed, I don't need that office in the city. We've been working remotely for a while, right? Um, it became a glorified storage room for my linens. And so I now found, you know, a way of getting free storage now from a landlord that's been very generous that we have a number of units with. Um, there's ways. Um, I now have a VA team working out of the Philippines, uh, which is a great experience. I totally recommend all your listeners to look into the VA option if they haven't already. Um, the VA folks are super honest. Their work ethic is impeccable. Their English is good. Um, they're 30, 12 to 13 hours ahead, depending on time difference. Um, so it might be midnight for you, but it's only lunchtime for them. So you can get round-the-clock assistance The traffic system in the Philippines is horrible, so they love to work from home, and the wages are a fraction. Their average wage is about $3 an hour. $3 an hour, that's average. Um, So I personally had a problem paying that small of a a rate, so I doubled it, and I pay about $6 an hour now, um, which for them, that's luxury. For us, it's not, right? Um, so I can operate a whole team pretty much for the same price that I can pay one good person um, over here. So cutting your expenses, looking just looking at everything and being creative, being an entrepreneur, um, I would say. Yeah, definitely. I think that's super key. I love the creativeness that you you know, the message behind that, just because it's super important that a lot of people think that they have to get the office, they have to do this, they have to do that in order to be an official business. But I think COVID especially has shown us that you can do this anywhere. And as long as your professional offer, you know, great service and, um, you know, have great quality properties, I think that you can actually really do do well without all the other stuff, the the flashy office and all the other stuff. Um, my, my question to you was, what did you guys do internally, like with your systems? How did you, did you have a lot of downtime in order to play with uh, maybe certain uh, tech or just overall, you know, maximizing your systematic process for properties and revenue or not revenue, um, rev- reservations and stuff like that? Yeah, 
I've always been um, wanting to automate pretty much as much as I could, always. Um, I think one thing I noticed, when you're doing those 12 units, it's a very manual thing. It's spreadsheets and, you know, it's very manual. And as you grow, it because it's clear you just can't continue doing that. It just sucks up way too much time. So as I grow, I've been always into tech and um, even though I'm not good at tech, I understand the need for automation. automation. So we were already on that, um, that, that vision, if you will, Will. Um, I think we just became more dialed in and focused on it and looking at every scenario to see if it's automated, like your arrival instructions. And um, even that, you know, we've gone to texting now and a lot of texting now has keywords where a guest might say, text you about parking tips and information, and you don't even have to say anything. The system will recognize parking for that unit, and it will send the guest via text or email everything there is to know about parking in an instant. So just, yeah, just crazy automation, um, definitely the way to go. No, that's awesome. I think that's very true. Automation and then keeping... The, the, what I've been seeing for a lot of people is that they're automating the simple frequently asked questions, like you're talking about parking, Wi-Fi, um, you know, is there coffee in the unit, you know, simple stuff like that, uh, to then when it's a more in-depth question that's going to probably involve a little bit more detail or attention, um, they're able to pick up on that really quickly, like you said, and, and when it comes to like a broken fridge or communication, these are something that we'd have to respond to you know, fast. Um, so I think it's pretty important that you're talking about automation. Um, can I just ask one thing on, on the brand standpoint, you know, how, how's that, has that been a pretty huge part about your business and, and able to scale is having a solid brand that communicates your message and what you guys do. Do you think that's kind of a, a big role for operators to, to apply? Oh yeah. Without question. Will. um, so when I started, um, and, um, uh, you know, during those, those early, early days, I, I was thinking, what do I want out of this, right? And I wanted to be recognized as the best, back then, corporate housing company in Philadelphia, the best. Well, and I was thinking, why would a guest book with me? I'm not a Marriott or, you know, a Sheraton. I don't have an international brand name. So when people think of your home in Philly, why would they do when you're remote and you and don't I thought the way that they would do the guests and you can't way that was guests is through review. But there's there's ways of working behind the scenes of really trying to wow them, uh, and that's what you've got to do um, because people expect excellence as average now. So to wow the guest, you've got to go beyond excellent. Um, so we're big on our reviews. Uh, if you Google us, um, I think we're ranked 4.8 or 4.9 out of 5. Um, we're super hosts. You know, we're winning every accolade out there. And to answer your question, that's helped us scale. Why? We're under the management model now, I just said, hey, just Google us. Read our reviews. And the owners slash investors, they do. And they're like, all right, this is a company I want to align myself with. Um, the guests, they do the same. And we found that doors open 
for us because of how good a job we did. And where they remain closed for some people, they open because of our reputation. And I think that's how we can scale. Um, and there's just, every, just so many good things that come from that. And that's become our brand now. I love that. You, you nailed, you just nailed it on the head. I think you said it perfectly. There's nothing I could add to what you just said to make it any better. Like you literally just put it in a bow for me right there. So that's so good. Um, I have a couple, like one more question, just final thoughts on overall for what you've learned. Like what, if you could give, you know, any advice to a person who's listening to this, wanting to scale, wanting to grow a real business in the vacation rental space, what would it be? What would, you know, COVID aside, um, you know, what's your top learnings from your journey? Yeah, I would say um, there's a bunch now. When I started, I don't think there was anything like this existed, but there's a bunch of like Facebook um, groups out there. Um, one that I'm particularly uh, a big fan of is, um, the Legends group on um, with uh, Eric Mola and Jasper. Um, and here's what is great um, about joining one of these groups. So when I started, what I had to do operationally-wise when I had one unit was totally different to 12 units, totally different to 36 units. You know, in the beginning, I just went to Walmart and Home Goods and bought plates or glasses. But what happens when somebody breaks one glass or one plate? Well, I would then go out and buy more, but they change all the styles, designs, so I can never match. I didn't need one plate, but now I have to buy four or, or 12 or, or, or what have you. So as you scale, every bit about your business changes. I would have to say I reinvented myself every 12 units. I had to change something from a system standpoint, an operations standpoint, and that's expensive. And I made mistakes along the way, right? And then I learned from the mistakes. So that was expensive. Join one of these groups, learn all the systems, start the systems early from day one, and then it's not expensive. It's just a beautiful, seamless experience. Yeah, you're learning from a lot of people, and I think that's super key, the educational slash community aspect. I love Eric and Jasper. They're great guys. They're super smart. Like, they, they've they done it, and they test things out, and they see what works and what doesn't work, and they share it with the world, and I love that. And so anyone listening, obviously, I think uh, my consistent listeners know Eric and Jasper. Go find the episodes on the podcast. They're great. Um, where can people find you? Obviously, I've... Uh, said the name of your company, Steve, but, um, and I'm going to, sh- you know, tag everything in the show notes, but where can people find you? How can they learn more? Um, all that good stuff. I, I love to, to hear, you know, the, the shameless plug. Yeah, for, for sure. You can go on our website. Um, we will think you're a customer. Um, so, um, if you want, you can reach out to me directly. Uh, best way is probably email S dot Patterson. That's S dot Patterson, P-A-T-T-E-R-S-O-N, at yourhomeinphilly.com. And your is about U-R. So you are home, H-O-M-E, in, I-N, Philly, P-H-I-L-L-Y.com. 
Awesome. Well, you heard it, Slick Talkers. I'm going to take everything in the show notes. I'll even include Steve's uh, email so you guys can contact him if you have any questions. Steve, thank you so much again for being on the show, and I look forward to keeping up to tabs and seeing how you're doing uh, throughout the years to come. Thank you so much for listening. We love your support and want to provide the best we can to all our listeners. So please find us online, social media, and on Spotify, Apple Podcast, and Google Podcast. What's up, everybody? If you've gotten this far into the episode of Slick Talk, the hospitality podcast, then you are amazing. And thank you so much for tuning in. We want to send you two places really quickly. If you can, check out the show notes and click the hospitality.fm link. Check out all of our other shows on the podcast network. And don't forget, if you have someone that you want to hear on the podcast, then fill out the guest fill out form so that way we can get them on the show. Thank you so much for tuning in, and I hope you enjoy another episode of Slick Talk, the Hospitality Podcast.